We are wrapping up the book of 2 Timothy this week. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 22. It was great to hear from Kyle last week. Hope you all enjoyed hearing from him as he talked through the first part of 2 Timothy chapter 4. I told him when I was going to be out that uh, he had the opportunity to talk about one of the most exciting passages in the book. This morning, I get to wrap up with the greetings from the book of 2 Timothy. So uh, the parts that you tend to skip through when you are reading, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But it happens that the greetings here at the end of 2 Timothy are quite rich uh, when we talk about closing greetings. Uh, Because Paul talks about uh, where he is and his trust in God, even at the very end of his life. Uh, As I was thinking and reading this passage this week, uh, I wanted to share with you an experience that I think relates to the passage. Uh, I grew up going to the Texas State Fair with my family. I don't know how many of you grew up going to that. Yeah, a few of you guys. Anybody go this year? All right, uh, the Texas State Fair is one of those things, I talk to people and either you love it or you hate it. Uh, And the people who hate it go, you know, I don't know why I would go and spend an entire day in the heat uh, at risk of getting shot to walk through this area of Dallas and spend 10 bucks for a corn dog and $100 on a meal for my family to look at like sculptures made out of butter and people's quilts and those types of things. And I listen to that and I go, all of that sounds fantastic to me. I love that. Uh, Where else can you go in the world anymore where you can experience really a good old-fashioned type of carnival and fair? Uh, So I grew up going to the state fair. For those of you that grew up going to the state fair, uh, you know that as a family, there is almost always some sort of pep talk at the beginning of the day about what to do if you get lost, Uh, because the crowds are big, and as you're walking through the fair with children, it's easy to get separated. And so for us as kids, my parents said, okay, here's what you do. If you get lost, if you get separated from us, the first thing is just stay in place, And count to a hundred slowly. Because we might come back. We might not be that far away. So you just stand where you are. Count to a hundred. If we're not back by the count of a hundred. Go find a police officer or a security guard. And tell them that you are lost. And there were police all over the state fair. right? Because as I said. You're as likely to get shot as you are to have fun. So there are cops everywhere. And so uh, we were to go find a police officer. Uh, Well this happened to me. One year when I was probably seven or eight, we were at the fair and we went into this exhibition hall and on the way out, the crowds got so tight and so big that we were separated and I found myself walking out of this exhibition hall and I couldn't find my family. My brothers and my parents had not noticed immediately that I wasn't right with them and so they just kept going. So I walked outside of the exhibition hall and I did what my mom had told me. I stood in place and I began to count. And uh, mom says that when they found me, I was at like 38 or 39. And I had little tears coming down my face. 38, 39, you know. Because in my mind, I had all of these fears and terrors about being deserted. What if I'm left at the state fair for the rest of my life? 
And every morning I'm greeted by big techs, raised by carnies. I subsist on funnel cakes, right? And that's my life. And at seven or eight, when you are lost and alone, all those fears feel very real. Now, it sounds ridiculous to say that with the hindsight of 30-some-odd years, but at the time, that fear of being deserted was very real and very strong. And so although it's, it's amusing looking back at a child's perspective, the reality is that all of us recognize that the feeling of being deserted is a terrible one. The feeling of being alone is a terrible one. And, and for some of you, maybe all of us in this room, we have experienced what it feels like to be left by somebody we trusted. And for some of you, even as I talk about that concept of being left behind, uh, you feel a pain in your heart and your soul that has been there for as long as you can remember because maybe a parent whom you trusted, who said they walked with Jesus Christ, walked away. Uh, For some of you, maybe it was a significant other or a spouse that left. Uh, For some of you, maybe it was a close friend, a co-laborer in the Great Commission, somebody who walked with you in the way of Jesus Christ, who decided they were going to desert the pathway of Jesus Christ, and consequently they deserted you as well. And you feel the sting of that betrayal and abandonment. And so, like I felt at the state fair, you stand and you feel alone and afraid and deserted. And you say, how can I continue to walk the path of Jesus Christ faithfully when others are peeling away? I have a very close childhood friend who decided when we were young adults to pursue a lifestyle contrary to the Word of God. And so he began to walk away from Christ And and I remember when he found out that I planned to pursue ministry, he said, what a waste. And I remember feeling the sting of those words because this was somebody that I loved like a brother, that I trusted, that I believed would walk with Jesus with me to the end who walked away. And, And If you walk with Jesus Christ long enough, if you pursue the way of Jesus long enough, you will experience desertion and abandonment and betrayal. And the question becomes, how do we continue to walk faithfully in the face of that feeling of desertion? How do we keep going? That type of situation is precisely where we find the Apostle Paul as we close out the book of 2 Timothy. As we said before, Paul was in prison as he was writing the book of 2 Timothy, most likely facing his execution. Kyle talked about that last week. Uh, We are looking most likely at the final words that Paul wrote before he was beheaded under the reign of Emperor Nero. And so Paul is in prison, and as he writes, there is the reality that some of his friends, many of his friends, in fact, have deserted him because of fear, because they got tired of walking with Jesus, or simply because they loved the world more. He has a few people who have stuck with him, and there are many 
who have walked away. There are even some who actively oppose his mission. And so as Paul wrote the end of 2 Timothy, he found himself in that situation where he could have been tempted to despair, and yet we see a confidence in Paul that God remains with him. How does Paul keep going in the face of the unfaithfulness of these deserters? He keeps going because he knows that God stands with him when everybody else walks away. He says, the Lord stood with me, even in the face of desertion, because God is faithful. He's faithful to his people. He's faithful to his mission. He's faithful to his promises. And so right here at the end, what we see Paul doing is not lamenting the poverty of friends in his life, but instead thinking about how the mission will continue after his death, giving instructions to Timothy, giving instructions to other disciples about where they ought to go to preach the good news. And every word of this passage oozes with his love for the gospel of Jesus Christ, because Paul knew that because Jesus was faithful to him, He could be faithful to Jesus. And that's where we end the book of 2 Timothy is that you and I can be, are equipped and empowered to be faithful to Jesus Christ because Jesus is faithful to us first. That he never will send us on a mission for which he does not equip us to finish. He never will send us into a place where he's unwilling to go. Jesus always stays with us even to the end of the age so that you and I can continue to be faithful to the Great Commission. And so Paul locks his eyes on the Great Commission and he says, my mission in life is to make sure that everybody knows the love of Jesus that I know, that everybody understands the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and However far it is within Paul's power, he will get that message out until the day he dies because God is faithful to him even when others have walked away. And so for us, the question this morning as we finish 2 Timothy is, do we believe that? That Jesus stands with us in a way that is more real than any human friend or family member. That it's not just a metaphor, it's not just a nice concept when we say that Jesus stands with us. It is a reality through the power of the Holy Spirit for everybody who trusts in Jesus Christ. And living in that reality then, will we be faithful to make disciples until the end? Even as others peel away. As we look at 2 Timothy 4, 9-22 then, we're going to dive deeply into the faithfulness of Jesus Christ this morning as we close out the book of 2 Timothy. We see first that God is faithful to his people. I'm going to read several verses here of this passage. So let's begin in verse 9. Paul says, Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. At my first defense, no one supported me, 
but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. As Paul nears the end, there are a few types of people in his life. There are deserters like Demas. Demas is one of these guys. He says, look, Demas just loves the world. In the original Greek, this says he loves the now time. He loves the age of the now. In other words, Demas is all about what's happening right now in his cultural context, in his world. And Demas says, you know what? I love whatever it is, the money of the world, the prestige of the world, the entertainment of the world. I love those things more than I love Jesus Christ. And so he says, Paul, peace out. I'll see you later. And he leaves. There are deserters that, in the face of persecution, walked away from Paul. He says, at my first offense, nobody supported me. And so you have deserters, and then you also have in Paul's life what you might call the haters. People like Alexander the coppersmith. Now, we don't know exactly what Alexander did to oppose Paul, but we know that somehow Alexander was going around teaching things that were contrary to what Paul taught about the gospel. And Paul says, he did me a whole lot of harm. And I find it interesting with the deserters. Paul says, you know what? I don't hold it against them. With Alexander, he says, God will judge him. And so Paul is able to forgive and let their betrayal and their opposition go, trusting that God is the one who will sort all of those things out. In fact, there's one guy on this list who had previously been a deserter who now rejoins Paul, and that is Mark. You may remember that on an earlier missionary journey, Mark had actually deserted and walked away from Paul and Barnabas. And initially, Paul didn't want to bring Mark back in, but now we find him saying, you know what, bring Mark back. He's useful to me. And so Paul recognizes that even the deserters can return. He recognizes that even the haters can repent and that God will deal with them. But he has these deserters and haters in his life. He also has a few friends, co-laborers. And yet, even in the face of all of those different types of people, Paul recognizes that ultimately what? It is the Lord who stood with me. And everybody else left. When some people opposed, God stood right here with me because God is faithful to his people. And we're going to talk in a few moments about how God is faithful certainly to his mission. God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful to his character. But I want to camp here for just a minute because Paul says, God is faithful to me. And I want you to think about what that means for you. What that means is this, that God is faithful. The Lord is faithful to you. That he knows your name. He knows the pain of rejection you've experienced. He knows the days. You wake up in the morning and you think, you know what, I want to be done. He knows those times when you feel you stand alone and everybody else has left. And he stands with you. And his presence with us is more powerful and more real than any human presence. Paul doesn't pretend that he can go it alone. Paul does not say here, you know what, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm strong. I'm pretty cool. I'll make it without anybody. Instead, he recognizes certainly the need for human 
friends and human co-laborers. But in the final analysis, he says, even when those people desert me, it will not unseat my belief in Jesus Christ because I believe that he stands with me. Uh, We are a culture very fond of stories of lone heroes, right? We have a hero. His name is the Lone Ranger. And he goes throughout the world and he rectifies wrongs all by himself, except maybe with his friend Tonto. But fundamentally, we say, you know, he's alone in the quest for justice. Zorro, another cultural hero, alone in his quest for justice. Maybe the most famous of the last uh, 10 or 12 years is Jack Bauer of 24. Jack is the ultimate loner hero who saves the universe over and over and over again, fundamentally by himself. We're fond of those stories, maybe because we want to believe that we can be like that. Paul never pretends that he can make it all alone. He says, Timothy, please come. Please bring Mark. Also, while you're on the way, I I left a cloak somewhere. You know, hop by the lost and found. I left some books. Bring those things as well. He needs the help from other people and recognizes that. But in the final analysis, says, God is the one who stands with me. When I was a freshman at Texas A&M, I lived in the dorm. And my roommate was a Christian, was a believer in Jesus Christ, a close friend from childhood. And so he and I often would rely upon each other to continue to serve Jesus, even though we lived in a context, yes, even at Texas A&M, where the majority of people in our dorm were living a lifestyle very contrary to the Word of God. And so we would hear uh, parties going on in dorm rooms and immoral behavior going on in dorm rooms. And we would would have to uh, walk the way of Jesus in the face of what seemed like overwhelming odds at times. And uh, he and I would rely on each other. But, you know, the reality is that there were nights, sometimes even Friday nights or Saturday nights, when he was gone. And I would find myself in the dorm alone and hear the sounds of people enjoying often immoral behavior, while I was all alone, feeling sad. And uh, one particular evening, I remember hearing one of my uh, sweet mates and a friend actually talking about us and making fun of how we were trying to walk with Jesus. And I remember hearing that conversation and, and feeling so alone, all by myself. Get out the balloons and have your little pity party. But I would remember at those times what Paul says here. The Lord stood with me. That he knew my name. He loved me before the world began. For 2,000 years of church history, the Lord has stood with his people through the rise and the fall of nations and cultures. Paul was beheaded under the reign of Emperor Nero at the height of the Roman Empire. Where is Rome? You can go see the ruins of the Roman Empire today, but God still stands with his people. So Paul says, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me 
because he knows his name. He knows your name. God is faithful to his people. God is also faithful to his mission. As you look, as Paul goes on in verse 17, he says, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Why? So that through me, the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. He says, God stood with me and he strengthened me. Why? So the proclamation can be fully accomplished. In other words, uh, Jesus had sent Paul on a mission. Just as he sent all of his disciples on the same mission to make disciples. And as we mentioned earlier, Paul says, my mission in life is to make sure that the Gentiles, those who are not Jews, hear the good news that Jesus died for our sin and rose again. Paul says, that's my mission. That everybody knows it, that everybody knows that eternal life and entrance into the kingdom of God comes through trusting in Jesus Christ. That is the mission of every Christian to make the gospel known and to make disciples. And Paul says, God stood with me so that the proclamation might go out. Jesus never sends us on a mission and then leaves us unsupported. He always provides the resources and the strength to accomplish the task. Quite often on Sunday afternoons or Sunday evenings, I am sent on a mission for my family. I have to go to the grocery store and pick up food and household supplies. And it is usually a harrowing mission. Uh, Because if you've ever been to the grocery stores in College Station on Sunday, you know they're typically extremely crowded and the shelves are half empty and you're trying to navigate your cart around and you can barely move and half of the things you want are not there. And so I have to try to make substitutions on the fly. But I know if I come home with the wrong granola bars, it might not be a happy moment. And so as I navigate the store, here's what I do. I rely on support from headquarters. I keep my phone with me and I text my wife or we have a little app where I can send messages to her, verbal messages. What kind of sugar do we need? No, that kind of sugar is gone. What's second on the list? Should I skip it? 2% milk, 1% milk, what should we do? And all the way through this trip, I rely on support from headquarters to know that I can get close to the right things when I come home. So if you see me standing in the dog food aisle just like this for a while, I'm waiting on her to respond. So I know if it's the green dog food or the blue dog food that I'm supposed to get. But I love that she doesn't leave me out in the field unsupported. And Paul says, neither does Jesus. If he has sent you on a mission, he provides the support and the resources and the strength you need to accomplish the mission. He's available all the time, every moment of every day. Because we know Jesus Christ, we can approach him through prayer. We can approach him in worship. The Spirit of God lives in us and moves among us. And so Paul says, I trust that he's faithful to his mission to complete the proclamation of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Do you and I believe that he is faithful to his mission 
And do we care about the mission? Because Jesus sees it as the most significant task of our lives. Are we willing to continue pursuing the Great Commission even when we are deserted, even when we face opposition, even when we may face mocking or hatred or ostracism because of our dedication to the Great Commission? When you go to work, do you see yourself on a mission? in need of support from headquarters. When you go back home into your neighborhood, do you see the men and women in your neighborhood as people who need to know the good news of Jesus Christ, who need to have eternal life and who may not have it? And will you enter into those environments with the conviction that Jesus stands by you and is faithful to his mission and has provided all of the things you need to accomplish it. I think for some, you may say, you know, I'm really not that knowledgeable about the Bible. Or I'm really not a missionary. I haven't been sent overseas to make sharing the gospel the purpose of my life. I'm really not a pastor. I haven't spent all of this time studying the Bible. And I would say, you are exactly where God wants you to be in this moment to fulfill His commission in your job, in your neighborhood. He's calling you to have an influence for His kingdom, even when you feel that you're alone. Who are the people you know who need to know Jesus Christ? And are you convicted as Paul was, even in his dying days, that God stands with you so that you can introduce others to Jesus Christ. So you can draw others into a relationship of discipleship. So others can have the rock-solid conviction that Jesus stands with them as well. So Paul says God is faithful to his people. God is faithful to his mission. Then thirdly, he is faithful to his promises. Verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I love Paul's rock-solid conviction here. The Lord will rescue me. Now, I, I read this sometimes, and it's tempting not to immediately think, yeah, but Paul, you were killed. Right? You, you were put to death right after you wrote this. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. And then Nero calls him and says, you know what? We're chopping off your head. That feels like really bad news, doesn't it? And yet the reality is Paul's conviction is absolutely correct that in the final grand scheme of the universe, Jesus Christ rescues him from every evil deed and brings him safely into his kingdom. And there will come a day for those who follow Jesus Christ that they will live in his kingdom forever and ever and ever, and the evildoers will lose. And Paul says, because Jesus promised it, I know it will come to pass. When we talk about the promises of God, 
I cannot think of a better time to discuss the unwavering promises of God than in the middle of this election season. Because most of us are are tired of promises from human beings that we know they won't fulfill. Most of us recognize that through most of our lives, we have tried to trust the promises of politicians and presidents and congressmen and political leaders, promises that they almost never follow through on. I happen to have grown up in the midst of a generation that uh, understands broken promises deeply, not only because of governmental promises, but because from the time that I was small, I was hearing promises on television from every advertiser in the world. I grew up in the era of the sea monkey. Anybody remember sea monkeys? You would open up a newspaper or a comic book or, and you would see an ad for sea monkeys. And they always looked like these uh, little aquatic creatures that had an advanced civilization. In the ads, you know, they were building castles and towers and they were sitting around and they were talking to each other and it looked like these were philosophical conversations. They looked like intensely wonderful beings. And in fact, some of the ads even said, you can even train the sea monkeys. And then what happened? Did anybody ever order them? (laughs) You know what they were? They were tiny little brine shrimp this big. You can't train them except maybe to eat the food you drop in their tank. They don't build civilizations. They look nothing like the ad. I had a friend who his job when we were in high school was he worked for a television studio that produced advertisements on TV, advertisements for food companies. And what he discovered to his chagrin is that most of the photos you see on advertisements for restaurants, most of those photos are not photos of actual food. They're using all kinds of materials to create something that looks sort of like food, except looks a whole lot better than anything they will ever sell you. So you see that Burger King Whopper, and you think that must be the most joyous creation on the planet. And you walk in and you order it and it's this mashed little thing that's, you know, an inch tall. And you taste it and you go, it doesn't taste like that ad looked. And so all throughout our day, all throughout our lives, we are subjected to false promises, aren't we? So that when we read the scripture, for some, our wall comes up. How can I trust the promises of God when so many others break their promises. But I believe Paul because I believe the promises of God because there's never been one that he has broken. You go back into the history of the nation of Israel and you see God promises them a land and he gives them a land. He promises them a Messiah who would be born in Bethlehem and He gives them a Messiah who was born in Bethlehem. He promises that that Messiah will die for their sins. He promises that those who trust in Him will be resurrected. And there's never been a one that He's broken. And because Paul knows the God of the Scripture, 
He knows his character. And he says, if he promised to bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom, I can take it to the bank. His promises are good. It's that same conviction as we read the Old Testament that drove many of the prophets and spiritual leaders of Israel to stand firm even when everybody else deserted the way of God. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel's friends who were told to bow before the statue created by Nebuchadnezzar. And the three men said, we bow to God alone. And they stood in the midst of probably hundreds of thousands of their countrymen who hit the dirt at the side of that statue to preserve their lives. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, we have a faithful God who is capable of delivering us from the flames, O king. And then they go on, they say, but if not, we still won't bow. He is still faithful, eternally faithful even if we die. And you remember what happened when they walked into that furnace. Even the guards who tossed them in were burnt to a crisp. And yet here stands Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what does Nebuchadnezzar see? Fourth guy in the flames with them. The presence of God in the midst of the fire. And so Paul can look at those stories And say, my God always keeps his promises to all who trust him. He is faithful to his people, faithful to his mission, faithful to his promises. God is not a con man or a liar who needs to earn our votes by promising things he cannot deliver. He is the God of the universe who is always faithful. And so as Paul sat in a Roman prison, days probably away from his death, he could go back to that bedrock assurance. And what strikes me perhaps most starkly in this passage is that right at the end, Paul is focused fundamentally on two things. One is the gospel. And the other is other people. He says, I want the Gentiles to hear about Jesus. He says, I want my friends to go here and there and everywhere and share the good news. I want Mark with me. I want to see Mark again one last time. Timothy, come see me one last time before the curtain closes on my earthly life and I go to receive my reward for faithfulness and I enter into an eternity with my Savior who has promised me life, Paul says, I will focus on the gospel and the people that God made who need to know Jesus Christ. And Paul knows, even at the end, that he can be faithful to Jesus because Jesus has been faithful to him all along. So again, do we have that conviction that for all of the years that God has been working with his people, from the beginning of creation to today, he is faithful. Do we hold that conviction as Paul did, that we are called to a mission? Will we be faithful to make disciples, 
even when others walk away. One of the reasons that we come in here every Sunday morning is simply to remind ourselves of what is already true, to remind ourselves of those things that are true on Monday through Saturday, but that we often forget. So we come in here and we sing songs about the faithfulness of God because we are forgetful and we will go to work tomorrow and we will forget, but we'll come in next Sunday and we remember again, oh yeah, God is faithful. And we come in this room and we have the opportunity to look around and we say, you know what? There are others. There are faithful co-workers who are going to go into their neighborhoods, their families, their workplaces tomorrow and seek to make disciples. To do so mostly in small ways. Influencing one or two or three people. Tomorrow and the next day day after day and step by step until Jesus returns as he has promised. Are we committed to that task of disciple-making as Paul was committed to that task of disciple-making, believing that Jesus stands with us so the message can go out? Jesus says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Not now, not to the end of the age. Now go out in the world and make disciples. We can be faithful to Jesus to the end because Jesus is always faithful to us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity this semester to study the book of 2 Timothy. What a convicting book it is because in it we see the heart of of your servant Paul, who was dedicated even to the point of death, who was dedicated even to the end to share the good news because he knew not that he was strong, but you are strong. You were with him. As we close out the book of 2 Timothy then, convict our hearts that you are calling us to make disciples. For many of us, those disciples will live in our own homes. They will be our children, maybe a spouse. Those disciples may live on our street. They will be our neighbors. They they go to our workplaces. They sit next to us in our classes. They need to hear of Jesus, and they need to be encouraged to continue walking with him. So we pray, make us faithful, knowing that you are always faithful. Father, we're so grateful for the death and resurrection of Jesus. I pray if there are any as well in this room who do not know him, that this would be the day where your spirit convicts them of sin and of their need for a savior and of the reality that you have provided eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that that person would trust in Jesus this day. Father, I pray make us faithful to fulfill your commission. We're grateful for this time, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.